Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody! This is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Cha! 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 Hi, Greg Tito. Hi, Shelly Mazenoble. Hi, how's it going? I am feeling good. and excited to talk to our guest this week. Alicia Marie is someone that I've been following for a very long time on the social medias, and I'm very excited to uh, uh, talk to her about her creativity, her cosplay, and, man, all of her D&D characters that she's been throwing together over the last year or so. She is someone who is very creative and does a lot of different uh, things. A lot. So. Yeah. If you if you follow anything in the cosplay world, chances are you have seen pictures of her characters uh, somewhere, right? Because again, she's been doing it for for a long time, and it just looks amazing. Uh, and yeah, she's she's been convinced to get into Dungeons and Dragons, and I can't wait to unpack all that with her. Me too. Me Fun. too. Okay. Do you think she will like Ravenloft? Yes. <laughs> That was more of a rhetorical question, but I'm glad that you took a second to think about it. You're like, hmm. All right. Well, yes. because I'm, I'm very, I am very thoughtful about these things, and mm-hmm. I do. I think she will because I think that everybody loves Ravenloft. <laughs> Isn't that a name of a sitcom that we're pitching right now? Everybody oh my loves God, Ravenloft. Okay. Everybody loves Ravenloft. Oh, uh, I'll be the older brother. <laughs> <laughs> Mom. Mom, come on. Anyway, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft uh, has all of those sitcom characters and more mm-hmm. that you can play with. Dial uh, up the funny in Ravenloft. Dial up the fun horror <laughs> stories that you've got going on. Actually, that would be a really good uh, domain of dread, right? Is like, you know, all of the terrifying things that happen behind the scenes at a uh, a television taping of a sitcom or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Again, horror comes in many different flavors. Right. So, and you can have funny horror with, you know, there's, that exists. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that one, that's honestly one of my favorite genres of horror because it's not really horror. Well, I mean, it is. There's definitely horror tropes and stuff in it, but I just like laughing and not crying or screaming. Or being scared. Yeah. Or being scared. Like really Uh, scared. But you can do all that and have and and as we've been talking to Chris Perkins a long time about Curse of Strahd and Ravenloft, uh, uh, you know, you need to have some levity in your games that deal with horror because you need contrast, right? You can't just it can't just be all grim dark all the time. You need to have some some positive, happy, fun things happening uh, as well as some negative ones uh, and. That might not be a big part of what is going on with Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, but I think it's good for us to, to talk about here for you, you Dungeon Masters out there who will be getting this on May 18th. That's very soon. In fact, that is only two days away. What? That's right. When you hear this, you will already have your copy of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft oh potentially in your hands. Oh my gosh. I can't it's believe it's, it's, it's here already. Yes. So many domains, so many dreads, so many monsters, so many dark gifts, so many mm. dark lords. That was where yes. I was going with. So many opportunities to Hey, pull. Greg. Oh, my God. We're rec- literally recording right now. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of horribleness, uh, there's... That's my little carionette. 
Yes, exactly. He was dressed in a uh, a really nice clown costume when he said that. He just stabbed me in the neck, and he has taken my soul. And now, Hi, Greg. Hello, Greg, and now I'm him. <laughs> oh, those of you listening, you did not see the facial expressions that Shelly was just making while she was a carrying I I am creepy. I am. As it turns I, I out. I own it. Own your creepiness. Own it. Own it. Uh, so, <sighs> right. Uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft is out there. We've got even more fun stuff that we will be talking about soon coming from Dungeons & Dragons, and I can't wait. Uh, but for now, you should be horrified. And I can't wait to hear all about your horrible stories and games yes. that you're playing. Yes, what I was trying to say before the carionette interrupted is <laughs> pull off your fingernails, all you little hex bloods out there, and... Tell me all the fun things that you overhear and see and do with your little secret thumbnail camera. With thumbnails? That's even... Oh, thumbnails, toenails, whatever. Whatever you want. Whatever. That was one of the um, uh, you know, marketing slogans that ended up on the cutting room floor. for I'm still Van really mad about. was like, pull off your fingernails and come join us. Come on. Join the coven. Check your fingernails at the door. <laughs> I think that would have worked. We would have sold so many amazing uh, fingernail removal products. I feel like just saying that now, we've probably just touching a couple more sales. (laughs) We're seeing that pre-order count go up. I see it. Oh, yep. There is another one. Cha-ching. Damien from Omaha just purchased his copy of Van Rick. Damien? I don't know. The Omen. I know. I was just thinking, like, that's a very horror, horror name there that you picked out of the blue. Oh, looks like Rosemary is also gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and your baby also got one. Interesting. <laughs> She's purchased a copy for her baby. Interesting choice for a baby, Rosemary. <laughs> but okay. We're, by the way, we're getting all this information from our spirit board that we're pushing around and getting oh, all the letters. Oh, uh, wait a minute. It. I'm getting another sale. It's from. Casper? (laughs) (laughs) He's friendly. He's got a big smile on his face right now. Yeah, and then he stabbed you in the neck and took your soul. That's how it happens. Just disarm (laughs) you with the smile. Anyway... We have uh, all of these stories and more that we can learn about in How to DM, right, Shelly? Oh, my gosh. This is going to be a really, really fun one. Uh, perhaps you know uh, a, a gentleman who goes by Alpha Stream on Twitter, our wonderful, beautiful, charming, fantastic friend, um, Teos Abadian, who is my guest today. So Look excited me. for you to speak to uh, the Flumpf Master himself. Right? Uh, we haven't had him on Dragon Talk for many a year, so no, it's nice to. Yeah, he's. Uh, coming back, and um, we're going to talk about collaborative campaign world building and even do a little exercise together um, where we're going to build our own little fantasy world. Uh, I'm a little nervous, but I feel like I'm going to be in good hands here. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's give a listen to that before we get to our interview with Alicia Marie. (laughs) 
Hey everyone, welcome to How to DM, How to Dungeon Master. I'm Shelly Mazenoble, and I am joined by a, a legend. I don't think I that is a uh, misnomer here. A legend in the D&D community, Mr. Teos Abadia, otherwise known by most people probably as Alpha Stream. Um, on that could be. Uh, my, this legendary guest that I have here is a prolific author and developer whose credits include work published by Wizards of the Coast, Penny Arcade, MCDM, Hasbro, which I did not know that you were working uh, on that as well. I worked on the HeroQuest project. Yeah. That's amazing. And several organized play programs. He's also the co-host of the Mastering Dungeons podcast. And I think an all-around wonderful guy who mm. is going to share some very cool ideas with me and all of us about collaborative campaign world building. Now, I think... After that wonderful intro, I can only let us down. You're too kind, Shelly. Thank you. (laughs) Well, we can just totally cut that intro if this doesn't go well. Great. (laughs) I'll record a new one. (laughs) Not a chance. You are a shining light in this community. Everybody loves you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, collaborative campaign world building. There is a word in there of those three that I think would be really scary to new dungeon masters. Can you guess which word that is? Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you. Not a chance. No, no. I feel like that one we're good with. World building. I think that would be scary to a new dungeon master because now I will have to build my own world here. What? But you're saying yeah. this is actually a way that we can immerse players and dungeon masters into this campaign. And this is actually essentially something that's going to make it more fun and easier and just better all around. What? Yeah. What do you have? Yeah, and I, and I tell me that, about this. Well, all right. I'm, t- I'm going to tell you, we're going to talk about the concept. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, and I love, by the way, the how to be a DM series. So it's, it's an honor to be here following in the footsteps of the great people you've had on. What we're going to try to do here is we're going to talk about the concept and where it came from. We're going to run okay. through the process and we're going to use two examples because you can do okay. this in either way. You can do it with a published Wizards of the Coast adventure and we'll okay. use Rime of the Frost Maiden as an example or with your own homebrew campaign. So we'll, we'll, we'll do both. After we go through these six steps, you and I are going to create our own little campaign. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. But okay, let's do it. I am a little nervous. I told Greg earlier, I'm a little nervous about this. So here's the concept, right? Normally what happens is that if you're brave enough to create a campaign world, which really, I mean, I think that's what dreams are made of, you come up with this as DM. You just sit down and you're like, oh, and this world has this and there's islands off the coast and da-da-da. And you dream it all up. And then you get together with your players and you're like, hey, welcome to my world. And hopefully there's not like a 60-page handout but because they're not going to read it or remember it. But you're going to start playing, and they will slowly start learning about the world, but only but so much. And in my experience, it's hard to get the players to really remember these things, right? Like, I don't know, have you had that experience playing in a world where you're like, what are the details again? Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And I am 100% that player that's like, where where are we? So what this comes from, it comes from the the first time I saw something like this was in the Dresden Files role-playing game, uh, which is part of the Fate system. 
Um, but it is also found, if you've ever played the, the kind of card game, board game, role-playing game fiasco, uh, you get to create these sort of relationships on the fly, right? It's a little bit like that kind of concept. Yes. So we're going to take yes. these concepts and we're going to kind of make mm-hmm. them in sort of a D&D version. Um, and we're going to work together through a series of steps to see what resonates amongst the various players. And a golden rule here is that if we hit a step and nobody comes up with a cool idea, that's okay. We're just going to leave that for the DM to fill out. Yeah. So it's totally fine if it doesn't work. Um, and again, we can use this with a published adventure okay. or with our own home campaign. It's worth noting that this process works really well with kids too, not just okay. adults. Kids love this sort of dreaming. I mean, like anything else where they're excited, they go crazy. So you have to have some cool time in between the steps, give them bowls of snacks. But it's great. I used it in my kids' campaign that I ran. Uh, I also used it when I ran Tomb of Annihilation with my adult friends. Um, And I used it as a sort of process when my son and I wrote an adventure together. So this this is a pretty good process. And what we're going to do first, step one, is you we're going to... As DM, we're going to give a little bit of our voice and provide initial guidance. Because sometimes as DM, we really kind of, we want a certain thing. And that's okay. It's okay to want something as DM. So here's where you get a chance to say it. So I might say, hey, everybody, I'm running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. But I want to customize it with your ideas. The campaign's going to have elements of horror and survival. You know, we're now going to go through this process together to decide how the campaign starts out. Okay, so that's what I'm saying up front. Or maybe I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to make my own campaign. Um, I'd like it to be set in a world similar to the Forgotten Realms, but maybe with more clockwork and steampunk elements. And that kind of gets everybody understanding, okay, all right, that's what's going on. Okay. Right? Um, if we don't have any preconceptions, then we can just talk about that now. Like we could say, all right, the initial guidance, what are the really big types of campaigns you like? like someone might like, you know, I want to be... Uh, a mercantile campaign. Uh, I want to be tomb delving, uh, a frontier town, clearing the wilderness, uh, you know, anything like that. Uh, inherit a, a type of business. So we can put those really big concepts out at this stage. And that's our initial guidance. So far, so good? Okay. So now, step two is yeah. a big one. This is, helps us really visualize things, which it. is the starting area. And that's why I like to use this as the second step. Even with a published campaign, this can be about the emphasis of where we're starting. So here, what we're going to do is we're all going to throw out ideas. Now now we're in the discussion stage. We're all going to toss ideas on where in this world we should start and what it kind of feels like. So if it's published, I'm running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, I might say to them, hey, here's a quick handout with a brief description of the 10 10 towns. Which seem coolest to you? Which one would you want to start the campaign in? And so they'll take some time and, oh, you know, I really like, you know, Dugan's Hall. And, oh, I really like, you know, the East Haven. And we throw these ideas around. And, and now I, as DM, know what's of interest to them. Like, this is awesome. There are 10 towns. I wasn't going to go to all of them anyway. And now I know the three they really care about. And, and, and we all know where we're starting. And we all know about them. <laughs> it's a huge win. We're just at the beginning of the process, right? Or if this is a custom yeah. campaign... We could say, all right, what are some ideas for the starting area in this sort of forgotten world, forgotten realms-like world with steampunk elements? And someone might say, what about an underground city in the Underdark? And there's merchants 
going around and then a lot of, a lot of this sort of trade taking place in this trade city. Or someone might say, and, and, and a fun thing to do is actually take movies or real world places and use those as inspiration and tell the players at this stage, hey, feel free to throw it. Like, what's, your, what's a movie that you would love to play a campaign around? So someone might say, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what I would say. Uh, you know, okay, what about a, an ancient Cairo type city with these huge tombs that god kings or something, forgotten people, you know, used to create and whatever. Uh, or someone might say a fantasy version of Portland or Seattle, right? And even if you don't use these ideas, they're already tossing them around, some of them might really sound cool to people. So you might say, all right, we're not going to be in a desert world, but that idea of like forgotten tombs to lost gods is something that people really liked. So I'm going to keep that one too, even though we might go with uh, that we're at, you know, on the edge of, uh, maybe we're in a sleeping fishy, fi- sleepy fishing village, but there could be these underwater tombs that are huge and enormous, right? And we start finding out about them later. So ideally, we, we talk through this, we throw out all these cool ideas, and we kind of settle on what we like, right? We come up with this one that sounds really neat to everybody. And um, it's great for both one player, at least, and for the DM to take notes, because the DM can add secrets, right? We can sort of be like, oh, we come up with like things they say, and we're like, oh, and that could be because of this reason. We don't say mm-hmm. that, right? And it might seem as we go through this process like we're spoiling the thing, but it'll be less spoilery than a trailer for a movie. But it'll have the impact of a trailer kind of where it excites you and gives you ideas, right? And things will be recognizable. But the real, there are always going to be secrets that we can add as DM to it behind the scene. All right, so we've got, yeah. No, no, go ahead. So at, when you're doing, oh, sorry, but I, at what's, when you're doing this with the players, are, have they already created their characters or do they do that after? Like does some of Fantastic. this inform um, some of their great character question. I would say after whatnot. is better because then they can, they can shape to the world, right? So if we're going to be like a bunch they of rogues in after. a seedy okay. Chicago-like uh, gang environment, right, then... Hey, let's go with like that lets you create the bard musician that is, you know, jazz style and the tough ex-gang member. And right now you really fit in because you created characters to those concepts. Yeah. All right. So step three, we have our broad area that we chose. Now we can come up with three cool locations that let us drill further down into the setting. And these should be places that are going to be cool important or otherwise featured in the campaign and just capture the imaginations of the player. My dog was saying hi. Um, So like it's Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, right? And we might say, all right, we have a house where no one enters or leaves ever. It's an old place, but never seems to need repair. What's going on there, right? And some other player might say, how about the mayor or speaker's house? Mm-hmm. There's like strange noises coming from the basement. Um, a stall where an old woman sells meat on a stick. And no matter how hard it is to find game, she's always got food. <laughs> and so, you know, what oh, these let us these. do, you know, these are so players good. now have all these kinds of ideas. But we as DM get to choose what's the reality. So this woman who is selling meat on a stick, like she could be some, you know, terrible creature, a fiend, a hag, whatever. 
Or she could actually be a really kindly person who maybe she's part of a, uh, like she's a member of the Harpers or something. And she has, you know, sources of food brought in so that she can bring everybody to her stall and gather information. And she's actually going to be a great ally to the party. You as DM will get to decide that, right? But you've got this location that's going to register with players. When they see that woman selling meat on a stick, they're oh, okay, well, I want to talk to her, right? It's awesome. So if we were thinking, uh, thinking about mm-hmm. not Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, but like our own custom campaign, um, someone might throw out the idea of like an old well covered in spider webs, an obelisk that has strange writing that no one can decipher, the street where carnivals are held and several times a year, kind of like Mardi Gras, like there's sound and music and, and everybody comes out onto the street, you know. So any of these kinds of locations, we throw up all these ideas around. We're officially picking three, though as DM, we might might write down other ones if we like them. Um, one that I like is the idea of like a tavern where everybody knows your name, but more goes on than meets the eye, right? Like that's a cool place. Sure. And, and a location like that could even be where the characters okay. start. And that could be kind of neat. Like this is your home base. Um, right. <laughs> they often do. All good adventures um, start in a tavern, don't they? So that was step three. We got three cool locations. Now we're going to get three <laughs> themes to guide play. And these I like to think of as in a movie trailer where it says, in a world where, right? Or things that people might say like out loud, kind of mutter to themselves on a daily basis as they're walking around. Because they're, they're sort of known things about these places and they're going to they're gonna guide play in the setting. So Rhyme of the Frost Mating, Rhyme of the Frost Mating, we might say, the ten towns must be united. We aim to profit. Secrets await discovery. Like those could be three themes, right? And could be a lot of fun for players to go through. Um, in a custom world, we might come up with something like, the leadership is corrupt. The forest isn't our friend. A city on the brink of violence. And it's great if they tend to be sort of things that are a little like dark, problematic, you know, things that heroes need to deal with and interact with, right? Those can be those themes. And again, like in a world where the leadership is corrupt. Now we got, you know, okay, yeah, oh, neat. Right? So that's the idea here. Yes. And in this stage, we can go further if we want. And this is where it's important to say that some players will love detailing things. Like they're the kind of player that if you say, you walk into the tavern, tell me about the tavern keeper. They'll launch into telling you all about the tavern keeper. But there are other players that you say, you walk into the tavern, tell me about the tavern keeper. They go, I'm not the DM, you are. You tell me about the tavern keeper DM. <laughs> That's your job. And that's totally fine. Like, there's no wrong way to play. And when I work with my players, often there'll be a point where they go, I don't want to tell you. I want you to tell me. Cool. When that happens, we're all good and we, we skip to the next step. Mm-hmm. But you can ask some questions like, is it a time of stability? Are there other cities nearby? What is the climate like? And you can pre-prepare some of these questions and then just toss them out. Uh, do natural elements like storms threaten civilization? And for all of these, the hope is that people are going to trade ideas and talk. Uh, so there's some excitement. And again, as DM, you're going to jot down all these notes, right? Like, you know, like, okay, uh, this is a place that's you know, racked by storms. And um, uh, the, the civilization has not tamed the wilderness and the surrounding area. Challenging is traveling. Okay, or travel is challenging. Okay, I'm going to write that all down, right? And, and this is kind of useful fodder as we start to detail things out. Um, 
you can even go as far as asking people to detail uh, some of these themes. So if they were with a theme like the leadership is corrupt, you could say, who's the leader? Oh, it's Draco Van Alsenoy. Uh, okay, and tell me about the leadership. Oh, well, uh, Van Alsenoy was the leader of a small faction that just came to power and nobody knows how. Okay, great. You know, like, now we've got some stuff to play off of, right? Like, that's great. Mm. And it's not like you have to run a totally improv campaign. It's more that you, you know, you're taking this back and you're, you're working with that. Um, and again, to the extent that you want to, like, you can, you can ask questions and shape things. And we can even be using that published adventure. So we could just say, like, you know, the mayor of town, um, tell me something about the people they surround themselves with. And just see what they say, right? Because most of the... the the towns that are described in the adventure don't tell you that much about the people around the speaker of each town. So let the players do a little bit of that and you can play with them. Um, we can also tie things together. So we can say, you gave me a theme, like the leadership is corrupt. I can tie that behind the scenes later when I go home. I can uh, tie the location and the theme together. The leadership is corrupt and there's this tavern where everybody knows your name, but more is going on than we think. Maybe that's where the rebels are, and they're mounting the rebellion to oppose the leadership, and you can be a part of that. Right? So we can link these together after we're done with all this. All right, so that was step four. We have our three themes. That's really important. Now we want to give the players the opportunity to give us three threats to the setting. And this is where they can just dream wild, dream big about what kind of things they want to fight, basically. Um, and it can be generic or it can be specific. Pirate goblins, nice. uh, an invading army. There are creepy things that are uh, kidnapping people, right? Those all just work uh, regardless of what campaign, you know, aberrations, uh, beholders. It can be specific or general. And if the players like this kind of detailing, we could ask them, tell me w about one of those creatures that's rumored to exist. So if there are creepy things that kidnap common folk, they might say, oh, uh, there's this mummy. She used to be a queen in the area. Some terrible curse happened. That's what people say. Okay. Uh, there's an invading army. It's said they have a shapeshifter that can look like anyone. Oh, cool. Pirate goblins. Yeah, they've got a construct made out of cannons, right? All right, great. You know, and now I get to put that together and, and have some fun with it. Um, or not. You can keep it really simple, whatever you like, and you can ask as many questions as otherwise it work. And you can, again, link this together, right? There's an invading army uh, that actually is allied with the corrupt government. It's how they're going to secure the, you know, take down the rebels. I don't know. You know, we can play with that, however. And, and so you can link all these, again, link these steps together. And now we're at the last step. And the last step, number six, is group, patron, and franchise. And this is where I love to use the rules that show up in Tasha's for group patrons, they were in Ebron before that. Uh, it lets you it lets mm -hmm. the party be a member of some group that sort of uh, supports them in some way, and that ties them into the setting. And so because of this type of approach we're doing for collaborative campaign building, it's awesome to be he's, he's a collaborator at heart. Your dog is a big fan of group patrons. <laughs> he wants to... Uh, he wants to build the world, and I don't let him. Uh, <laughs> he wants to build a world yeah, with he's us. He's also good at stealing food off counters. He's, he's really soft, though. <laughs> yeah. So 
Um, when we're doing this group patrons, we can say things like, you know, hey, do you uh, want to be part of um, like an academy of sciences in this city? Or what kind of group would, would you see yourselves allying with? Um, the franchise rules appear in Acquisitions Incorporated, and they let you build a business and similarly belong to a large organization. So you could also do that. Like you're in the 10 towns. Um, maybe you are here uh, serving the Harpers, and the idea is for you to sort of lead one of the areas, right, and, and become mayor or speaker. And, or maybe you um, are independent and you see yourselves as sort of owning a business here and, and settling down. Right, bringing prosperity to this place through through uh, a business. We're going to start a tavern or something like that. And, and there are places in the in the Icewind Dale where that works perfectly. So it, this is a great final step to to bring in those rules in that are going to further cement relationships between players and uh, the setting. So what what about if you're doing this with newer players that maybe don't have a ton of knowledge about D and D lore or locations or, or what if they're yeah. like just pulling things out, like, I want spaceships and... Yeah, I do like, too. I know, who doesn't? <laughs> do you... Wait, Shelly, are you confirming Spelljammer? <laughs> that's, that's always Greg Tito's job. Yeah, that's true. He's the one that gets to say that. So but, uh, there's no wrong you know, input because we might uh, think like, what if we go to the moon? And we say, well, you know, I don't know that I want to go to the moon, but... What if we, you know, could travel through portals to strange places? Okay. You know, or, uh, you know, I'm not sure that we're ready to travel throughout the stars, but maybe there could be flying ships, something like that, right? We could, we okay. can kind of compromise. Um, and that's what I'd say with new players and like with kids, kids will come up with crazy ideas. Right? Yeah. What if we're all robots? And you're like, well, maybe, maybe there could be some situations that are like that. Like maybe you get to put on a giant mech suit at some point. Right, and we get to have these big battle bot battles, right? Or, or we, um, yeah, anything like that, right? So, so you just take the ideas they give you and, and maybe moderate it a bit. But in general, as DM for this kind of what we're doing in this approach, let them hash it out because it might solve itself. Okay. And then if you need to kind of step it down, you can say, hey, just want to bring us down a little bit from where we're talking. Um, not planning on running, you know, a robot campaign, but but here's what sounds cool to me. What do you think? <laughs> okay. But I like new players. They'll actually come up with really, the newer they are, they, they don't think a thing has to be just a certain way. So they'll tend to come up with really good feedback right. that energizes everybody. All right, should we try to do an cool. example of this together? Yes. <laughs> don't worry, I'm, I'm just as But nervous. we're going to, like, we're doing it together, though, like, you're Together. gonna help, right? This I mean, maybe. yeah, yeah, totally. Collaborative. Totally. Okay. Collaborative. All right. Okay. So my guidance to you, step one, is we're gonna do a fantasy Seattle in the style of okay. Eberron. Which I know you like Eberron. Oh, okay. With clock, so it's like Seattle fantasy clockwork elements. Okay. Right. Like you might see, like uh, you know, a loader that loads boxes, and um, you know, there's a lightning rail and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So, God, I wish that were true, but okay. I know, right? Um, so step two, our starting area. Seattle's pretty big, and there are all the surrounding areas. What general part, and again, you're just one person, so pretend you're many. You know, What parts of the city do you think are awesome for a fantasy campaign involving clockwork? I have been um, picturing Pioneer Square in Seattle. 
which is mm-hmm. Seattle's oldest neighborhood. Um, and also the, um, the scene, the, the, the real life location of uh, underground Seattle. Where oh, yeah. the original Seattle was before yeah. the fire, and then they just basically built Seattle on top of it. But you can still go visit the underground, and it's always just been such a creepy, weird place that I have always thought this would be really cool, a cool setting for a D&D world. Oh, I love that. Um, did they have any of those, like, in, in this underground area, did they do things like take people captives and stuff like that? Like, we have that in Portland. I don't know if Seattle has that. Like, they would, like, apparently, like, get you... Uh, you know, passed out in a tavern and then they'd take you through these tunnels and you'd wake up on a, on a ship serving it, apparently, I mean, way back. I in, in our version of Seattle or did this in the <laughs> That's real true. Seattle? That's true. We can just make it up. Because I, I really like that. Um, <laughs> I was also like, when we were thinking, when you were asking about themes, which I know you haven't mm-hmm. asked me about yet, but I mm-hmm. was definitely feeling like a, mm-hmm. um, a disappearance kind of. Yeah. Like cool. there's, there's, there's things happening. So when I was okay. thinking about this, like I thought about like because I go there for packs, the convention area in downtown are great for like urban intrigue. Yeah. Um, the docks are, you know, interesting places. And even yeah. like, you know, an area like Renton, that sort of idea of being like in the shadow of the fantasy metropolis can also be cool. So, yeah. so these are all good. All right. So we've got okay. some good. I, I love your Pioneer Square and Underground Seattle. Um so let's go to step three, cool locations. So now let's choose like actual locations. It can be a, you know, a building, a tavern, a small area. What's cool uh, in Seattle? Um, there is right by the market, there's this little uh, area called Post Alley that is just, it's an alley. It's, oh, and there's just like little, cool little storefronts, but it's all like cobblestones and just kind of narrow, windy, steep hills. And I've just always loved Post Alley. Just, yeah. I just like the vibe of being in there. Yes, so totally. So I think that should be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, now that we're kind of uh, working with Eberron here, I feel like the monorail should play a part in this oh, as yeah. well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is also right downtown. And then maybe the Space Needle. I love the Space Needle, too. I love it. There was a Gamma World uh, Wizards of the Coast adventure that involved the Space Needle like into the future, and, and that was great. Um, yeah, that, the Space Needle is great, right? It could explain. It can be some kind of arcane power site. It can be any number of things. So, yeah, it's great. Headquarters cool. for something, for mm-hmm. someone. Yes. I was also thinking things like um, that Pike's Place Market could be yeah. run by criminals, and I thought of recently in a show, you talked about the idea of like a beholder wearing a ton of spectacles, like the mighty oh, glasses, yeah. right? And I was yes. like, oh, that could be a great character there. And that's yes. an example of fleshing things out. Like we could flesh it out further by saying like, you know, like maybe the monorail is run by this beholder with like eyeglasses on every single eye because it has poor vision. And maybe yeah. like it's always looking at its clock using telekinesis or something to see if things are in time. Yeah, I like um, the idea of a market because just, I mean... Things always go wrong. And that's also like, you know, like the Grand Bazaar, like people like yeah. disappearing from the market. It's, so if, yeah. if we can so you're just already like, linking it. I like it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Post Alley yeah. and the market are kind yeah. of the same. So let's, I also that, thought whole, about, that whole area. Uh, ben Royal Hall, where the Acquisitions Incorporated shows are, could be yeah. a great place for like magical shows to be conducted. You know? Oh, but, yeah. But I like this. I love Post Alley, Monorail, Space Needle. Uh, this is fantastic. What about the gun right. wall? 
<laughs> I don't know the gum wall. There's a gum wall? I don't even know if it still exists. Uh, it's probably been destroyed since COVID because it's disgusting. But And it was always gross. But there was an area right um, outside of the market. You kind of go down the stairs and it's like literally like chewed up bubble gum all over the the wall. Like people just walk past there, pull out their gum and stick it to the wall. But uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this it leaves its it. messages for, you know, yeah. Yeah. other people. That could Somehow be really interesting. Yeah, like a yeah. message wall. See, that's the way you can take that kind of thing that really exists and then you can, yeah, I like that. I like sort that of like the version, like like um, the hex bloods I, that I, I'm obsessed with from Van Richten's Guide, um, pulling off their, their fingernails and their toenails and leaving them behind. Like maybe you could like pluck a piece of gum, <laughs> whatever the equivalent is in D&D, and, yeah. and take it with you. And now like you're basically like, have this little walkie-talkie to the person that, that oh, it belonged that is, to. Oh, man, that needs some working on. That is cool. That's it a does. neat idea. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that when, you know, you think about things that are modern or real life and, and, and you're like, well, what would be the fantasy equivalent? But especially if we're like in a clockwork version, like that could be really sort of interesting. Yeah. yeah. And even a message wall, it might be like, imagine like in college when you take, tear off those little slips yeah. of paper, but maybe now you're in contact with them somehow. Right, yes. like that could be a limited little back and forth thing. Oh, that's great. Okay. Um, all right. So then, themes to guide play. You've already said kidnapping people. Uh, people are being mysteriously kidnapped. What else is going? On? Um, I feel like there would also be a. I, I like the idea of like um. Urban legend. But like urban legend come to life like uh like it's people have are starting to say like they've seen this thing whatever it is that's oh that's great and see it's it's this is the kind of thing where if we had like five other people with us right we would start tossing around urban legends and everyone would and we'd probably spend like 10 minutes laughing about bizarre urban urban legends we'd probably choose one and Mm -hmm. go yeah that one's coming to life or maybe a couple of them have come to life yes oh gosh what if it's like what if it's like um I don't know something some portal to like the urban legend s- storage center <laughs> what if what if something has been broken, and what if there's yeah. these are infiltrating our world? I don't know yeah, be fun. I, know. I like I'm, the I'm, idea yeah yeah I, want, I love it I love, I love it. urban legend i love i just I love ghost stories and things like that, so I would love to have something like that come into play in this world where maybe they're not just stories that have been handed down from generations to generations for no reason. Maybe they I love really, it. maybe it's true. That's fantastic. Um, wow. These are so good. Um, yeah. I, I had things that, I mean, I thought I liked, but these are so much better. Like I thought one thing that's funny is it's convention season. Could be wacky, like that could give you a whole attitude. Or uh, something is waking from its watery slumber. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I definitely mm-hmm. had a, some, I mean, obviously water should play into this yeah. in some way. Yes. Yeah. And I like, I mean, maybe because I'm really thinking about Ravenloft a lot these days, but I mm-hmm. like mist and fog and, um, you know, how Seattle gets that really, in Portland probably too, gets that really thick, low yeah. fog. Yeah. I just had an idea uh, because I so love your horrid nightmare about the eyes in the back of the head thing. 
Like, what if that's associated with the urban legends coming to life? Like, people see this person, you know, or this image of a person with eyes in the back of their head, right? Oh, my gosh. Or what if, what if everybody starts having that nightmare of their yes. waking up with the eyes on the back of their head? Yes. See, there we go. All right, so now three threats to our fantasy Seattle clockwork setting. Okay. Oh. Um, Which one oh, of them could be this? Oh, right, we just did this. themes. Well, I guess yeah. the threats are um, somebody's, something is kidnapping people, taking people away. Um, what can we have with conventions? I love the idea of convention season because that just brings so many people into our little town here. Uh-huh, yeah. Um. I think something should happen that will, um, like, we want our townspeople to feel a real sense of of pending doom or desperation. Like something maybe is happening with their commerce, or maybe their big uh-huh. industry is conventions, and um, maybe that's being threatened in some in some way. But I think people start to act real crazy when they. Um, when yeah. they're feeling desperate. Yeah, and I kind yeah, of totally. like the idea of just having this little group of adventurers that's like, oh, y'all need to calm down. <laughs> we need to so, figure this out. I mean, one thing we can always play with, it's maybe a little too obvious, but if there were a congregation of coastal wizards, right? Like These wizards, wizards of the coast? that are of the coast. <laughs> Uh, they could either be bringing dire portents or perhaps they've suddenly appeared having not been seen for in years or something like that. That could be a threat. Yes. Or maybe they run the convention and they've disappeared or I don't know. It could be a... Are they good wizards or are they bad wizards? Or do we not know that? I don't know. I mean, maybe they've purchased the convention. Oh, there we go. And we don't know if they're good or bad. Maybe that's what we have to find out. Or part of what we have to find out. So that's perfect. So as DM, I would be thinking, these coastal wizards who purchased these conventions, uh, could they be linked to the urban legends coming to life? It happened it be, around the same time. Yeah, so it could be all of them, right? Maybe they're all in on this, or maybe there's just the one of them that has has this secret plan and has been sort of manipulating the others into taking this action. Uh, so that's the, you know, and I wouldn't say that out loud, but I'd be making these notes like, mm, maybe that's what's going to happen. Oh, that's great. All right, what else do we want threat-wise? One last threat. Um, can it be like a environmental threat? Sure, yeah. Maybe we should throw in some earthquakes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or the ring of fire. Maybe, oh, let's, we could do our, our ring of fire, the volcanoes that are uh, surrounding our fair city. And don't anger it. them. Don't wake them from their slumber. <laughs> That's awesome. Maybe we awesome. should do that. Yeah, and then there could be that question, is this a different threat? Is this the same thing that's you know tied to these urban legends? Perfect. I love it. So there you are. We have this world that is a fantasy clockwork Seattle. We know that we're going to start... Um, and we're going to use the, these areas of the, the city, the underground Seattle, the Pioneer Square. Um, we have cool locations, our post-alley cobblestone market area, the monorail, 
we have the Space Needle and maybe this message wall. We know that mm-hmm. themes are going to be around these mysterious kidnap- kidnappings. Uh, urban legends coming to life, which is great. And people are having this recurring nightmare. And it's convention season, people. <laughs> <laughs> on top of everything. On top of everything. I mean, that's kind of the way real life works. It's on top of everything. It's convention season. Yep. Um, and then we have the threats of persons being kidnapped. We have the convention, convention industry being threatened and coastal wizards have purchased it. And then this ring of fire. I mean, right? Yes. So when you do this process, what I've found is players will really remember all of the stuff that we said because of the fact that they had a stake in it and helped design it. They'll remember all these things. And as they, their characters, you know, on, on day one, there might be rumors about these things, but as they begin to experience them, they're going to be really in, in excited about them because they already feel like it's like they watched the trailer, right? They feel like, like, yeah, I'm connected to this and they're going to be memorable and they'll know way more about the campaign than they would otherwise. So, yeah. How fun. What do you think? I love it. <laughs> I want to start playing cool. in it right now. Well, I'm going to take uh, these notes. I'm going to write them up. No and, way. And anybody, yeah, I'm going to write them up. And uh, anybody who wants a copy of what you and I dreamed up and of the process itself will be able to go to my website, uh, alphastream.org. And if they sign up, they will, they will get these. Uh, they'll get them free. They, they'll get this and they can use it in their campaign. These notes and our example. Are you kidding no, not at all. That's awesome. Okay, so people can <laughs> can go there and um, get yeah, the, subs- these these tips on how to do yeah. this in their own games. Subscribe to the mailing list, and I'll get you all these rules and what you and I dreamed up. You can play oh. in Shelley's Clockwork World of and yours. It's our world. <laughs> and yes, we're collaborating. Um, and, and my dog. And the dog. What's your dog's name? <laughs> uh, he is Chewy. Chewy. Okay. I feel He's like he's a labradoodle. To... Oh, Chewy. Mm-hmm. Oh, sweetie. Yeah. Um, he can show up in the adventure. Somehow he's going to have to. Probably that's who saves us all. Okay. Did you give us the name of your website? And can you give it to it us? It is alphastream.org. Okay. So I, I kind of feel like even if I weren't involving my players in this, this is actually just a really fun exercise for any dungeon master to just start creating a world and some cool story hooks. Yeah. But, but it's yeah. kind of again, nice to that's, My son and I used it to write the adventure we're going to kickstart. Like we just started, you know, what do you think? Is the, you know, do you like the idea of visiting a town? Do you like the idea of a, a tower, a dungeon? A tower, okay. Do you, you know, and just go through it like that. Yeah. And I think also that... When you're saying, do you want to do this or this, that maybe could be a good way to also help those new players figure out, not keep them on rails, but kind of in the beginning, they might want to be a little bit on rails until yeah, they figure sure. out like, oh, I, I can literally do whatever I want here. Uh, what a, what a <laughs> so fun cool. idea and what a fun way to introduce people to yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. So. Now that we would, after we went through this exercise and we know our clockwork Seattle is the setting and, and then we would go off and we would create characters that we think would exist in this yeah, world. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, it'd be fun, right? Because then now we, you know, a bunch of players would probably choose things from the Eberron world to feed off of that, like an artificer, right? That'd be great. But then because we know that there are all these kind of mystery angles, being any kind of investigator, you know, like a rogue mastermind, right? It helps yeah. everybody make characters that they're excited about and that they think will be useful. So yeah. if, if we came up with a world that's just nothing but world of war, then you want to build that kind of character. But here, you know, it's going to be a little more investigative and figuring things out and intrigue. So you'll build accordingly and, and, and feel good about the choices you're making. So. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I'm so excited that people will get to to actually like maybe drop some of these nuggets into their games as well. Yay! So fun! Well, if anybody has any questions, they can hit me up on Twitter at AlphaStream and I can also answer questions about the process there. Okay. And then, so is Twitter the best place to get a hold of you? Where else can, where else, your website, Twitter? The the Twitter and the blog, because on alphastream.org you can... uh, send me messages directly through the contact page. Uh, I like answering questions about the acquisitions incorporated campaigns people are running there and, and it's great. So yeah, and Twitter is always fun too because then other people can chime in as well, and then, <laughs> which is usually a good thing. Yes, that's true. And then usually a good thing. Um, and then what about your podcast? Uh, yeah, so Mastering Dungeons is super fun with uh, my superhero and mentor, uh, Sean Merwin. Uh, every week we co-host this show where we review the latest D&D news, all the cool things that Shelly and Greg have said. Uh, and we also usually take either a recent product and review it, or we'll think about some aspect of the game and come up with tips for people on how to run it. Sort of like we did today. We'll, we'll choose some topic and go deep into it. Tons of great resources. And I know you have some, some cool mm-hmm. projects coming up. I don't know if you're ready to talk about them yet, but... If people well, start the two following coolest things now. that are on the horizon, uh, I wrote with uh, for MCDM. They did this amazing Kickstarter for um, their Kingdoms and Warfare book, and they were kind enough to ask me to write the adventure for it. And wow. that adventure is really fun because it takes all of their cool ideas on how warfare can work, and then the adventure walks you through that process. So you get to use the rules as you're going through the adventure. I'm very excited for when that comes out. I think that's going to be really neat. Uh, it's through play testing apparently, and people are digging it. Cool. Um, and then it's going to be very soon launching a Kickstarter for the adventure that my son and I wrote called The Clockwork Tower. <gasps> and I hope that people will back that because we're spending money on art and layout, and I'm learning a lot about that side of the industry. And it's very daunting to go, okay, I now need people to back this or we're going to be in the red. So we're hopeful, but it's fun for us to learn. You know, we had a ton of fun working together to, to write on it. and. Yeah, so it's going to be neat to see how it goes. Oh, that's such a cool project for you and your son to have done. I'm excited. Thanks. Yeah, it was great. We did it during the pandemic because we were like, how can we strengthen your writing and and kind of keep you engaged in school at the very beginning when when it was all happening? And and so this was a fun way for us to, you know, once a week, twice a week, sit down and write a small piece of it. We would do like a 30-minute piece because, you know, he was 14 when we started, so you only have but so much attention span, but it was fun to, you know, we'd sit down, we'd do like a part of an encounter and then we'd do another part and we'd finish it and onto the next piece and a lot of fun. And what a great way to, to work on some of those school skills without realizing you're Absolutely. doing, you're having fun doing it, the writing and yeah, probably some math involved outlining in Outlining and yeah, analytical. Well, he's very good at math and so it was great. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I would expect nothing less from your <laughs> and offspring. the ideas he came up with. 
There's a, there is a, a person you can visit and get wondrous potions, and the ideas that he helped come up with for those were, were great. Oh, how exciting. Well, I look forward to that. I look forward to backing that and um, more of whatever it is you're doing and involved in because you're just a dream. You're the best. We love you. So. You're very kind. Uh, thank you. I try. You? I, I've been lucky in my career to have just wonderful, wonderful mentors, and there's so many good people in this uh, in, in this hobby. So I just try to follow in their footsteps and apply what I've learned from them. So. Well, <laughs> you are also very kind, and you must manifest all that mm, good stuff by putting it out there yourself. Um, thank you. Thank you, and I'm excited to play around with this. My son and I might do an exercise like this and see what world we come up with. Uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> I love it. All right, thank you so much. I for being have here. ideas on what that world might be like. Oh, I can already can definitely. There's going to be some sound effects for sure. Oh, here he comes. <laughs> let's let's stop this. I see one of the he... threats to oh, the no. campaign behind you. Bye. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> That was fun. I love everything about your fantasy world that you made with Teos. Yep, that was amazing. Um, flumps abound. And volcanoes and eruptions. Ring of fire. I don't know. A ring of fire. <laughs> A burning ring of fire. <laughs> There's lots of bards playing guitars, uh, roving around, uh, singing that song only on repeat. Yep. That's not going to... Get on your nerves. <laughs> no, not at all. But it is wonderful performance art. It uh, is. Which is a way to kind of describe what Alicia Marie does, uh, at least in her D&D world. But uh, there's a lot of intersections with fitness and cosplay and D&D creativity. Uh, and so without further ado, let's, let's do it. talk to Alicia. <laughs> Everyone, let's welcome Alicia Marie to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay, <laughs> yay Alicia, yay! Craig, hey, what's up? <laughs> We're Very excited, excited to talk to you. Me too. Woo. Finally, we've been trying to get this going, so now we're finally here, able to do it. Even yay. though I have weirdos standing outside my, my window doing work on the building, it's all good. They probably know that you're going to be on Dragon Talk today, and they're like, oh, we want to peek at Greg and Shelly. That's probably <laughs> That's it. Happens That's all the is. time. <laughs> or, they wanna, or they're trying to check out your latest costume inspiration behind you. Is this it, a- behind me is like the, the usual disaster that is my life. There's actually even more like that way. Thank God you can't see it because you'd be like, what is going on? No, I'm making, it. this is for like, these are all commissions. And then I have other commissions on the other side. So my, my studio is usually just full of half dressed, half costumed mannequins and stuff. And people walk in and they're like, <laughs> what is going on here? And I'm so used to it. I think it's just because mannequins tend to register as another person standing next to you if you're not used to it. So it like jars you. But I'm yeah. not used to these people in the dark. <laughs> used to them. I was going to say, it would be a little scary to live in a house full of mannequins, but... Yes, it is. You're you're good with them. They're good with you. They've never... You've never seen them just, you know, milling about (laughs) in the dark. Do they ever talk back? Yep. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Reminds me, you know how like Zillow listings will sometimes, or real estate listings will sometimes have the like, here's this weird house that you didn't think was going to be weird as you're clicking through it. One of them was like, yeah, it's, you know, very nice kind of uh, Baroque furniture, blah, blah, blah. And then like the next room, full yeah. of mannequins, all dressed in different ways, in different poses, sitting in different ways. Not like like you, where it's like, oh, clearly you're a, a a creator and a maker of costumes. It is more like someone was lonely and just has these mannequins there, uh, ready to talk to at any moment. <laughs> and that they had like so they were like people living in the house with them, maybe or something like that. And so they just got a, got a bunch of people, maybe from Craigslist, mannequins from Craigslist, just put them in like cool clothing and set them in the house. Yeah. And they're like, well, this is going to sell that, my house a lot better. I'm going to make sure there's pictures of those in there. <laughs> I know. You would think like the real estate agent might be like, we need to work on some staging and maybe we can move these guys to the garage. Yeah, exactly. Right. Also, That's right. Staging. I forgot about this. That's what real estate agents are supposed to do. Yeah. That was probably, Unless, people are probably like, you know. This is going to sell the house. <laughs> I mean, maybe they were staged. Maybe that was like they put them all together to show like how livable this, this house you buy is. <laughs> or maybe I, it's just a Ravenloft-esque horror story that is waiting to unfold via a yeah. real estate listing. I was actually <laughs> thinking of Betrayal at House on the Hill too because I think there's there are some haunts in there that deal with mannequins. Um, I used to work at a men's clothing store, speaking of mannequins, and one of my jobs was to dress the mannequins in the front window. And I don't know why I just didn't like drag them into the back of the store and dress them instead of like being right in the front window, like stripping down male mannequins and then hiking up their pants and like (laughs) tucking their shirts in. (laughs) Hey, kids. (laughs) Hi, mom. Hang on, I'm gonna get this this polo down. This Let me show mannequins. you how it's done. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my. See, mannequins were actually like these are like now mannequins are like really commercial and they make them out of like lightweight plastic. Like mannequins, like back in the day, were all like yeah. plaster and they were heavy. You could have yes. dragged this out of the window. You had to dress them in That's the window. Probably why, because it would have. They were on <laughs> big, heavy stands. They didn't have arms or legs. Yeah. They were just silver torsos, like really like cut chiseled silver torsos no head nothing i mean ideal specimen actually really <laughs> like nothing to see here keep moving folks oh my gosh this could be you uh, yeah yep. i love it my, my little torso of a boyfriend yeah, that's that's good. good times. Use jobs from your youth that will always stay with you. That's one. Yes. Of the sad part is that it wasn't really like my youth. This was like really <laughs> like like I my it was like my first job out of college. Like hey, theater degree. Oh, <laughs> see. Look what I can do with my degree. We all have Woo. stuff like that though, from like college totally. degree versus what you ended up doing like right out of college. So yeah. yeah, I mean that's pretty much what I expected to do with my theater degree, actually. We dress mannequins. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole costume department there. That's all they do. uh, Yep. Right? Yes. It's true. Knowing how to style, put things together, put looks together to create feelings. And I actually like when it comes to costuming, like I do like creating canon looks, like from like, you know, someone gives me this, can you make this? And I'm like, okay. And then I can make it. But I also really love, like, even just being able to style, like, costumes, style, like, cool different looks, or get a costume that's canon and come up with, like, an, an idea that's almost like the costume itself. Which is why, I mean, rolling into Dungeons & Dragons, when 
when, you know, the whole just sort of playing games on Zoom became a thing because of, uh, because of the whole last year and pandemic, everything. Yeah. And there was no custom conventions going on. There were no events that required costuming. That's really what I used like my skill set for was to come up with looks. So when I appeared in my Zoom streams, I could be like the person that people are expecting to see or whatever. I just had fun with it. I wasn't doing it because I felt, because I felt obligated. I just like I just like the idea of dressing up as my character. Like it just really helped with immersion, and I ha- I just had fun with it. But I do know the flip side. A lot of people were like, "Well, it puts pressure on everybody. Maybe you should tell the whole crew if you're going to dress up before you dress up." And I'm like, I didn't want to put pressure on anybody. I'm crazy. I'm not saying you have to be crazy with me. <laughs> no, and you're literally <laughs> sitting behind like bins and bins and bins of props and costumes. So. Yeah, Gotta use them. Man. Gotta use them yeah. in this pandemic. Yeah. You know, I would love that. Like one of the my things that I like to think about with my characters is actually like what they would be wearing. Uh, yeah. I like to, I like to play wizards and sorcerers, and I would love someone to style my character. <laughs> I would love that. Just say like, what would us like a modern day sorceress wear? Is it a different look, like when she's just in town purchasing some equipment (laughs) versus when she's going adventuring? And if does she look different depending on where she's adventuring? I would imagine. But really, like, what what would you what would like a cool like modern day sorcerer wear? Exactly. What would they wear? And you know, only you know who your character is. So you in your mind, like, you know their backstory or what they're feeling, and you're like. Oh, you know, it would be interesting. And then you just put it on. And that's one of the best things about creating your RPG characters that it's it's you. It's your costume. It's your look. It's your character. So it's like people to get artwork made of their characters so that they can see their character. Like what it makes you like, it actually brings them to life. So for me, dressing up as and creating a whole costume look is my version of that because I can't draw ish okay I'm not an illustrator <laughs> I wish I could illustrate I'm not I'm like let me see I'm like marginal illustration <laughs> I'm not I am. an artist in that way so for me the bringing the character to life is to do the whole look the makeup the clothing stuff like that so I've had, I've had a lot of fun with it <laughs> that sounds That's awesome, awesome. Yeah. what would you now, like what's your oh sorry Greg I was just gonna say I want to create the character who is the stylist for your sorcerer, Shelley. Like I want to. to I know that would be a the fun. illusionist like, who's like, "Oh, like I'll make you do this for right now while you go out on the town on oh, Waterdeep." Oh, that would be amazing. That'd be a fun that character concept. That would be concept. so funny. Yeah, you have a character that's a stylist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In Dwarven Forge or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that's I would awesome. like to like shop for some new some new looks. Um, I was going to ask, like, what when you're thinking about your D and D characters, and what what they would be outfitted, like what what their style would be, like, what do you attach some kind of backstory to, like, why they're wearing certain things? Because I always like the idea of like maybe my wizard is wearing like her great great grandmother's robes, or like you know carries like oh a wand that has you know significant meaning or something. But where do you get your inspiration from for your characters? Like it varies, but usually it, it starts. So I think of the character, it's always in the shower for some reason. Like when I'm in the shower, I have the, the best yeah. ideas come to me as I'm like messing up my skin by standing in scalding hot water for like 45 <laughs> minutes. But the best ideas, and I'm like, 
Oh, if this is a halfling sorcerer, she's young. She's 17. She doesn't have her, her draconic bloodline wings yet, but she wishes she had them. So she wears fake wings until she oh. gets them. So automatically in my head, I'm like, she has custom wings on. And her brother, her brother left and she never heard from him again. So she wears one of his shirts. So she wears like this big tunic that looks like it doesn't fit because it belongs to her brother because she misses him. And then she has the draconic wings over it. And then I'm like, hair color usually depends on what I feel like wearing. And then ears <laughs> I get. But then I'm like, oh, she's young and she has this, she, she, she loves like, um, she has these bunny slippers that she just likes. So she wears bunny slippers everywhere. It's like her thing. So in my head, like the character just starts coming to life like that way. And it's it's always related to the character's backstory. Like I did one for um, for Gary Khan and she was a monk, but I wanted it to be really mysterious and have like a very sort of uh, accent that you can't put a finger on. You have no idea where that accent comes from. It's like a hodgepodge of 15 different accents like D&D <laughs> people do. Yes. Yeah. And I did like, I have, I have in here just a bunch of like, um, you know, you know, eyes that you use for doll heads. Yeah. So like I yeah. have eyes, eyes. Yeah. Of different. <laughs> you're like, it's you're like. Yes. <laughs> 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 oh yeah. See what I mean? Wait. Ow. I'm stuck to things. My shirt's coming off. See what I mean? Oh, oh. like this. <laughs> I didn't realize that's what they look like outside of the doll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have different like shapes. These are clear, different colors depending. And so I have like googly eyes and a bunch of other things as well. And I was like, so she sees, but when she wants to really see something, and this is just coming up with an idea because I'm like, come up with something weird. Why not? She, it's almost like, do you ever see that creature? I forgot what movie it was. He opens his eyes and he has the eyes in his palms like this. And yeah, then he closes um, them. Uh, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Okay, yes. And he does like this. Mm -hmm. He puts his hands over his eyes and those eyes appear. And then he can see her version is she sort of sits and her eyes are blue and she sees fine. But when she wants to like see into like mind reading, whenever she does any divining type stuff, she opens her hand and this her eye appears on her palm and her own eyes go white. Whoa. Mm. But she can see fine like this when her eyes are blue. But when she does this, she can see into people. So she does this. So I had this whole look with blue eyes. And then I had like, I got a, a, one of, I glued one to my palm for the game. So my character was like, when she wanted to do it, she would do like this. And people were like, ah. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> That's great. Yes. I, I love think playing I, with Yeah. I think like their backstory. And then like, what would be something that would be really interesting about this other than just having another human monk or another, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you could do that simply too. <laughs> I did one stream game where I was playing a spider uh, who, you know, he was like a kind of a cool cat spider. Uh, and so I took the sunglasses and put sunglasses here and sunglasses here, sunglasses <laughs> here, like all the way up my head. And it looked like I had uh, multiple eyes. And it, That's it was awesome. a real simple way to just, you know, get that idea across. Uh, and people can do that without having. Tons of well, you gotta have lots of different pairs of sunglasses for that idea. But you know, without having the bins of stuff behind you, you can you can create fun visual looks for your characters, especially with we're all playing over uh, over over video like this that can mm -hmm. just ramp it up a little bit. That's that's actually a really that's really fun, and it's inventive to think of that. And people see that they're like, oh, it just makes it more fun. And you know, because of everything was shut down, and um, you know, just 
Zoom games and streaming games became even bigger over the mm-hmm. past like year. Um, it, it it just be it's just another just another facet of performance because that's yeah. what um, stream games are like. Home games, they're games, they're improv, they're fun. Everyone's eating pizza, some people are napping during the home <laughs> games. <laughs> but you know, doing stream games, it's it's part game and part performance, really. So yeah. that's what I and you were you know Shelly with your theater degree, you know what I mean. Like you bring all that, you bring everything in your improv classes, whatever. Bring everything in so that when people are watching, they feel like they're experiencing something with you and your character. And I mean, I don't know if you guys know about me and my history with Dungeons and Dragons. Like I started my first game was last January. Oh, soon or that recent? Was, yeah. I'm what, a noob what, for all. Uh, yeah, tell us about this. Well, how did you get into it? Yeah. There's a thing. Um, I have because I'm like in the cosplay community. Of course, we have a bunch of crossover nerdlingly. <laughs> I have a lot of friends who play D and D, do LARP stuff like that. Um, go to Ren Fair, everything. But because I am, I'm actually deaf with cochlear implants. I never saw like that. I never thought I was basically holding myself back. Mm. I, you know, especially with. You know, most of my friends back in the day, like 10 years ago, whatever they all, most of them played at home. And I, for me, I have like this thing called dinner table anxiety, dinner table mm. anxiety. I'm sorry, I'm swallowing that. It usually happens that for, um, when someone is deaf or hard of hearing, we're sitting at a dinner table full of people and everyone's talking. And we're aware of the fact that we can't keep up with the conversation, but that's okay. We're used to it. What gives us anxiety is someone going, what do you think? Oh, and you're oh. going, and then the <laughs> uncomfortable sort of, oh, we were talking about and the people feel uncomfortable and you feel uncomfortable. And they, so it causes this anxiety that's actually called dinner table anxiety. And you sit down and you're like stressing about when someone's going to call on you. And you're like, I haven't heard anything. Sorry. I just so really that like was this what, food. This mm-hmm. food is great. <laughs> yeah. It's a nod and smile. Yes. Yeah. Hope that was the answer. That was the answer to the question. Um, so I was sort of holding myself back. Um, my friends would be like, we'll make it work for you. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'll just, so I just sort of followed D&D from afar. And then I decided to get a cochlear imprint surgery on my right ear in September of 2019. I am pessimistic. So I did not think it was going to work. So I was like, mm. whatever, do your worst, do your best. It's not going to work for me because usually things don't. <laughs> a really positive attitude, Alicia. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, <laughs> Went into surgery, came out, and this took me ten years to do this because in my mind it was like you know someone's cutting my side of my head open, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and then you read like the horror stories online. You're like, it's not going to work, and then it's going to make things worse. Because right. I was, so, I'm severely, um, profoundly hard of hearing, which is, which is like I hear noises, but. For the most part, I had like I had like five percent word recognition, maybe twenty percent hearing in both ears, and five percent word in the So I needed the lip read. Without lip read, I couldn't hear anything. I just heard Charlie Brown's parents talking. Yeah, mm-hmm. always. But after the first one got done, um, I started hearing noises, 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 beeps, and weird like squeaks. And then after two weeks, my brain started figuring out what words were. Wow. Yeah, oh my God, human brain, the most amazing machine in the world, started putting things together like the sound microphone is the word microphone. 
Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. those things you don't really think about. Like everything's yeah. just a sound really. So your brain is the one that actually makes the connection between the sound and the word itself. So when the first one was successful. Yeah, totally. I just jumped into a game in January, like four months later. And then August, I got the second one done. And now I'm fully bilateral, but I'm a cyborg. I'm like just technology is the reason I can have this conversation right now. That's (laughs) amazing. So yeah, I don't know much about the implants themselves. Are they... Are they just like small microscopic things that go in your ears? And is that what it is? Tiny computer. If you could say, they showed me before they did the surgery, the little small computer they were going to be putting in my freaking head on both sides. I was like, how does that little thing do all of that? Right. It's a, it's kind of, it's really kind of amazing. And so I'm, I'm definitely, I'm an ad, I, since I'm now sort of deaf with CI, I'm still like, you know, obviously deaf and hard of hearing, um, do a lot of advocacy work. And I'm going to be working with No Lidits, which is a charity for children who do, um, charity for children who are um, deaf, hard of hearing and work in theater to get them into things, you know, get them doing things in life. Um, That's great. However, um, with these, it definitely makes it easier for me to move in the hearing world. So that's what, I mean, that's why, that's the only reason I'm able to play online without the anxiety because it's it's difficult. You know, you have a yeah. table full of like 10 people talking at the same time. It's impossible to follow. Absolutely. Yeah. So how does it work? I mean, do you, do you have to still have headphones uh, and things when you're doing video conferencing or, or, or how does that work? No headphones at all. This computer is actually straight up talking to my head. <laughs> Wait, What? You don't have headphones in right now. Yeah, and no headphones, no. Is it a Bluetooth connection? It's basically Bluetooth connecting to my... <laughs> to my Im- That's so cool. <laughs> it really you really is. are a cyborg. That's why I was like, where's those voices coming from? <laughs> <laughs> well, now someone... It's a cyborg. Yeah. That's mm. so awesome. It's <laughs> truly incredible. Yeah, I'm a little bit like my mind's a little bit blown that that we have that technology that like can have a computer talk to the inside of your brain and yeah. you can then see that hear those sounds and interpret them as language, which then your brain had to learn how to do that after the fact. Like it's wow, isn't it mind blowing? Yeah, it like, really like I don't is. have a, I have appreciation for it and like the surgeons who did this, you know, um, the sur- my surgeon and just for the whole, the scientists who even came up with the technology for it. It's so bizarrely intricate. And then, um, I mean, I, I studied neuroscience in college, but I have a whole new respect for a human computer, man. Yeah. This thing does some crazy work super fast. In two weeks, I was hearing like words. I could talk on the phone in three weeks. That's amazing. I could never talk on the phone. <laughs> So yeah. what's your it, first? Oh, sorry. Go on. I keep cutting you off. No, I because I think you're gonna continue. Yeah, I was just gonna yeah. say it reminds me a little bit of of being a parent and seeing your child like figure out that you know, mm-hmm. which is it's weird because I didn't think about that until I saw their little brains, you know, interpreting a sound and then realizing that a sound means something, and then that oh that they can action on right. that sound and then they'll Repeating start to repeat that sound and you're like wow I'm seeing your brain make these connections for the first time. And it's in some ways what you went through when you got these implants, when you're like, oh, wow, I get this. I hear things, but I don't know what it means yet, right? And so then you have to relearn and those synapses in your brain get connected and then all of a sudden it means like, oh, it's and then it's second nature. And you probably won't even think about this 10 years from now and be like, oh, yeah, I got those implants. Remember that? That was cool. (laughs) 
yeah. what other technology yeah, will we have? Exactly. Oof. Incredible. So was your first D&D game then around a table? Or was it virtual? No, my first D&D, the first D&D game I watched was at someone's house. I was just watching it. This was before a pandemic. And then my, my first like game with people I was, do not know, first game I played mm-hmm. was streamed. Whoa! January, my first game I ever played for myself. <laughs> you jumped right in. That's what everyone says. Jumped with both feet. I was playing with um, Deborah and Wall. Okay. Uh, TJ Storm, Joe Manginello. Wait, one other, one other uh, person. But it was for charity, and it was January of 2020. And that was my very first D and D game played ever, and I played us an orc named Scar level. 11. <laughs> Did you say level 11? Now looking back, I'm like, what the heck was I doing? Really did jump in. Uh, well, you know, those are heavy hitters there to be playing with. So uh, I'm sure they lifted you up and, and made it an awesome game. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what did you do to prep for that game? Like, how did you go from never having played D&D to creating? Did you say you were a level 11? I think it was a level... Her name was Scar. She was an orc. Uh-huh. And I think she was level, I still have the costume somewhere too, but I think she was level, it was level like 11 or 12. Which to me is crazy. <laughs> yes. So how did you, what was like, I how, doing? did you create the character yourself or did you have assistance or how did you know like, no. even like what the rules were? Yeah, actually, TJ, friend, uh, TJ Storm is a really good friend of mine. And he's obviously really into D&D. He's been playing his whole life and DMing his whole life. Yeah. And he had been bugging me for years. He's like, you need to just just give yourself a chance to play. And I was like, no, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not going <laughs> to hear everybody. It's going to be, he's like, you're playing. And I was like, no, <laughs> just watch. And he's like, you, he believed in me more than I believed in myself. Oftentimes that happens, you know, people. And he um, sat down with me. He taught me how to use the character sheets, you know, the math, everything. And then from there, I just got all the books. And I just studied like crazy for like a month and a half. I think I lived, I had like big poster boards with like arrows going like, you know what people do that? Wait, let me show you. Flow charts. This is what I do for like, I did a level 20. Recently, I did a level 20 like charity uh 5D adaptation type game. Mm-hmm. And these are the kind of, this is what I had to do for. <laughs> wow. This is Whoa. amazing. This is this is like, like a character sheet, character but sheets. like deconstructed with notes and that's yep. awesome. Post-its on there. This character was a ranger and a monk, dual class. And, but it was a level 20. So it was like level, I think it was three levels of monk. So I could have the um, flurry of blows. Oh yeah, and like, or I think, yeah, and then, um, and then seventeen levels of of ranger. And I was like, have I ever played a ranger? Maybe once, <laughs> maybe level one. Have I ever played a monk? No. So, <laughs> and I was ah. like, here we go. So I made up this whole thing for myself so I could sit it behind and I can know like where to go with. Yeah, because it was another charity thing. So I went always. I want. This is what I want. Whenever I'm playing a game. If someone's watching and they never played before, they they can see how the mechanics work correctly yeah. and how you can sort of play with them a little bit. You know mm. what I mean? How you can do certain things. Like I remember in the game, there was another monk. And there's this thing called, I think it's called deflecting missiles. 
what I'm yeah. talking about? Yep. Yeah, like if someone throws some of the projectile, you can catch it. You can and catch then it if and you throw roll, it back. You can throw it right back. Yeah. Well, he had deflect. He threw something at me. Well, I threw something at him. And he's like, deflecting <laughs> missile. I'm throwing it back. I was like, are you aware I also have deflecting <laughs> missiles? Let's keep doing this all day. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? As long so as we roll like well. Using, <laughs> I love that. Just using the mechanics to have fun with the game. So And and then the D D class, the juggler, was born. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> right? It's a team, right? Where you just guys yep. throw back and forth and it's a whole performance uh issue. That's, that's awesome. so good. Right. I love well, that. Well it makes visual. sense that you would want to play a monk because you are a uh fitness a badass. themed badass. Yeah, exactly. Right, so how, went, but thank you. <laughs> how does that dovetail into uh, into, into your D and D life? Do you like playing characters that are as as fit as you, or or, or you know, or do you are like, oh no, my character just eats uh, you know ice cream all the time? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, do you like me? I um, let me see. You know what? When I first started, of course, I wanted to play like I tend like the big characters, or, like the giantesses, like the Goliath female and the orc females, like the big ones that are like, I'm coming in. I have my hammer, front line, get out of the way. I'm like, I like being a tank. I really yeah. do. But of course, because you play so much, you end up saying, well, today I think I want to do Fury of the Small. I'm playing a goblin. And then you end up doing like a <laughs> goblin. So that's how I ended up playing everything was I started off with comfort zone, which is of course like badass, strong, yeah. like, you know, that's sort of, that's, I think everyone has that part of their personality. I think everyone's characters are different facets of the personality they want to sort of pull out and play. Yeah. And I think everyone at first starts with what's most comfortable. And for me, it's definitely going to be the, you know, superhero Amazon that comes in with a big hammer and starts swinging and talking crap, like from the start. Um, but yeah, then I started moving into like, like the smaller classes, like halflings and goblins, because they can hide behind anything that is the same size or large or something like that. Their stealth is just really high. So it makes it a really fun for role playing. Yeah. So I started getting into like technicalities of characters, like with the character I'm playing, what are some fun things this character could do based on what they, what they, what the um, options are available to them? Like, I played a um, Jerbin Barbarian mm. in a charity game, like, a few weeks ago. And Jermaine, I think, is... That was introduced as a race in the newest... One of the newest manuals. Tasha's? Wait, no, uh, what, what's, the, what's, oh. the, uh, what's the race you're talking about? Jerbin, they, they, they look like um, little mouse rabbits. Oh, I don't know if that's, is that, I don't think that's been in ours, but it might have been someone else, a, a third party supplement. Yeah, Sounds yeah, they're, they're, yeah it's a new, it's, um, it's a new, I don't know, the word, is the word expansion or manual? I come from Warcraft, save me. <laughs> <laughs> well, kudos to that. I mean, there's a lot of fun yeah. uh, uh, World of Warcraft stuff because there is, there's also the little guys that are just out in the new World of Warcraft too. The, uh, they got the big ears, the, uh, they're like fox like people. What are they called? They start with a V as well. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're awesome. The little people with the ears, and they sound like bounce around. So yeah. I played a Dravine, so I made her a barbarian because in my mind, 
it was funny to me to imagine this little mouse creature with big ears with a big hammer going, let me in, I'm coming through. Everybody out of the way. I got this. I don't like you. Move out of the way. Like I like, I had a whole like, like just something fun to be. So, yeah. But if I'm playing in a campaign, the character is definitely going to be less intense because it has to evolve. Right. So I play in this, um, in one of the um, Odiphius Fallout, um, Fallout uh, TTRPGs. They have one that's based on the video game. Mm-hmm. And I have a whole arc for the character that's like written out based on where she's coming from, where she's going. So it depends on how long the game's in, whether it's a campaign or like a one shot or two shot, stuff like that. But D&D's home for us. So, <laughs> you know, it's home. That's amazing. <laughs> how long have you guys been playing? Uh, I started playing uh, back in the well. It's hard to say. The, the longest campaign I had was basically in the in the two thousands, where I was in the three point five era. But I played a bunch of times earlier than that. It was harder for me to get started because of my Catholic upbringing. Uh, my my parents didn't want me to play very much, so I, I couldn't get rides anywhere. So I played a couple of one shots uh, here and there, and some things that that fizzled out uh, in college, and didn't actually start playing. Like actually, it was around the same time that Shelley did <laughs> in, in the three point five era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I started around two thousand six or seven um, because I was working on D anD D and they made me play, and I was like, <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I I did not know I had some very um, big misconceptions, even working for the company that publishes it. That it just wasn't for me because I always thought like I'm you know. I'm not really into math. I'm more of a, a creative type. Um, I thought that you had to know all the rules in order to play, and there's way too many rules. And I thought that I'm not really that into fantasy. Like, how, what's in it for, like, why would I be interested in whatever the story is that's being told? Um, but I'm very glad that they were like, if you are going to work on this brand, you need to understand what this game is. <laughs> So maybe just maybe <laughs> maybe yeah. So I um, I played uh, my first game with other new people, which was made it a lot easier for me because I was super intimidated. Uh, yeah. And then maybe like five minutes into it, I was already in love with it. I was like, this is not what I thought at all. I, this is all the things that I like to do normally, which is just be with my friends and tell stories. And I am not a badass in real life. Um, but my character is, and I love that I get to just embody this heroic woman, like this awesome role model that's just out there just kicking ass, but also, you know, accessorizing nicely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see? Which I actually wanted to bring up because I um, was, you know, look, just reading up on you a little, and I... (laughs) <laughs> love your um like how you got into cosplay or how, how you like what triggered your love of fitness as well mm-hmm. and it, you had i mean you i i would love to hear the story from you but being a young girl <laughs> and seeing these superhero like female superheroes that to, to you 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 looked at you know wonder woman and you were like mm-hmm. i want to be strong like i want her muscles like to look at like these these, um, you know, iconic, like, women of, you know, the, the comics and, and that, but 
to actually see them and just be like, she's strong and I want that. And then realizing that you could craft your own physique around these comic book heroes. It's, it seems it. Yeah. But like also like realizing like they're also beautiful and they're also feminine and, but they're also strong and muscular and badass. And I just, it was powerful, but tell it, can you bring us back to eight eight year old Alicia when you were flipping through your cousin's comic books? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wish to death that like I could go back and tell eight-year-old Alicia. And this always makes me cry when people ask that question. I was like, oh, sorry. Stop with the emotional it almost made manipulation. Me cry Doesn't it make you cry when someone says, what would you do if you could go back to seven-year-old? You're like, why are people do this to me? Um, <laughs> but I was eight years old. I was just really, I was full of anxiety for whatever reason. I was the only child of color like in my entire school, first of all. So I always felt different. Yeah. I always feel different. I always felt like that something probably didn't belong. I was like, something's wrong. So I was really full of, full of anxiety. I found, I was like visiting family and I had an older cousin, male. And of course I was under his bed, like looking through stuff. Cause that's what little kids do. They're just nosy. And I found like <laughs> a bunch of comic books and magazines. We're not going to talk about the magazines I found under his bed. Great. Um, but the comic books. <laughs> I was like, where is this going? <laughs> the comic books I found her, they were all, I'd never seen comic books in my life. And I was like, oh, this is okay, moving through. And one like had Wonder Woman stuff and the thing, and some, some other one, went, I think it was a She-Hulk one, and then there was um, a, a Silver Surfer one. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and I remember I, was, I just became obsessed with the way that the females were drawn and back then, the female idea was Barbie, Barbie's yeah. dream house, you know, like that mm-hmm. was Barbie dolls. That was just the, so me going, oh my God, look at her. Because they've been drawing women like that since the beginning of time. It isn't, you know, women being drawn like Amazons with muscles and looking like it can kick someone's ass. Did is not new. That's for comic books. That's canon, you know. And I remember I saw, I had the She-Hulk one and I was just like, oh boy. This is incredible. So I was nine years old and my mom got me like, you know, those little like YMCA like weights, you could order them. They were like two pounds, they were like pink. I used to be like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm gonna be (sighs) She-Hulk. And I remember when I was, yeah, when I was 10, I had little muscles and little abs too. (laughs) And people were like, what is wrong with your stomach? Show them. Ah! I would show people my stomach, like, in class. I went to Catholic school. So, you know, it was like, you're going to get detention if you lift your shirt up again. <laughs> but, I would, but I would be, like, in, like, the coat room going. And people would be like, Whoa. And they'd be like, make a muscle. And I'd go, I can arm wrestle the boys. So at yeah. lunch, I would arm wrestle the boys. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I was, like, 10 in, like, elementary school. I used, I, used to, I used to just love the idea of being strong and running muscles. But back then I was made fun of all the time. Cause I'd be like, why do you want to look like a boy? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to look like a man? And I was like, I don't want to look like a man. I want to look like her. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But still it was like, so I started and that actually got me into fitness, you know, figuring out that there are human beings who look like this. Like Gabrielle Reese was my first ever you know, the, the professional volleyball yeah. player named Gabrielle Reese. Mm-hmm. She was to me, I had pictures of her on my wall and like her volleyball stuff because her body, she's like 6'2". And I'm 5'8 and a half. So I'm tall, but 6'2". Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, humans can look like this. 
So I, that's how I got into fitness. And that's where it all started. I was teaching aerobics when I was like in high school, through college, I taught aerobics and I got into fitness. I started competing professionally in fitness and physique competitions, not bodybuilding. That's a whole different thing. Okay. But um, that's how I got into fitness. And then in 2010, I actually got the opportunity to go to Comic-Con. And I was like, well, if I'm going to go, I have to be in costume. So I was like, hmm. And that's when I was like, that's when I decided to do Storm. And when I think about my mentality, when I first stepped like down out of my, out of my hotel room at Comic-Con, it was so like nervous. Like everyone's going to be like, look at this chick. She thinks she's Storm. What an idiot. You know, that's what you're thinking. I'm like, so I was all like, people would like pose. I'm like, it would be like this tentative like pose, like, okay. Compared to now where I walk out of my hotel room, like, <laughs> I walk out like casting spells. <laughs> I walk out like a crazy person. So that's where, but that's where it all started. And then it was received so well that I just said, well, I'm going to make all the characters I love come to life. And, and that's where it all just, that's where I look. And I've always been just, I loved fantasy and costuming and art since I was young. So it's like, like you said, everything of D and D is like sort of everything you love. Like what I do now is just basically everything I love. Although it's it's nothing to do with I have a college degree in. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> what what is your college degree in? Neuroscience. Oh right, neuroscience. You mentioned right. So I mean, it's not related at all. <laughs> what did you want try to again. do? Were you did you have aspirations to be in that field, or is this something that was of interest to you? What did you, you know want what? To I was, um, I've always loved science in general. So I had like this big idea, like I was really into physics and the physics club when I was in high school. So then when I went to college, like I remember I was working as a vet tech, like for money or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, may I come become a veterinarian? So that's when I started, I went into school for like pre-vet and animal science. And I was oh. studying that. And I remember I, we had to take a bunch of, you know, college makes you take a bunch of electives as well as your normal coursework. I took one, st- I took an elective in statistics, things like numbers like that. And one of the professors was like, oh, and I just loved him. I thought he was amazing and smart and funny. And I was like, what is your, and he's like, I'm a neuroscience uh, pr- professor in the bioscience, so, bio, <laughs> biopsych department. And I was like, what's that? So that's when he started, ta- I started visiting him and he'd tell me all about like uh, topography like studying what happens in the brain when something we touch your finger like this, what happens in your brain with like neurons and synapses and um, what happens when certain like uh, diseases that attack the brain, what it does to your body or nervous system, et cetera. And it just, it just became very interesting to me to learn about. So I chose it as a major and I ended up graduating with, graduating with a degree in it, even though, by my senior year in college, I knew I was not going to live my life in a laboratory. But that's what I did. My whole college career was in a laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's I mean, so funny that we have to force people to make those decisions early. And then you end up like, oh, wait, this is my career path. And, it, you know, anytime I, try, I speak to a young yeah, person like, now, I try to let them know, being like, hey, look, you, any plans that you make are going to get messed up anyway. So just do the thing that is the most exciting yes. and and and, and uh, enriching to you at this exact moment and then the career will come hopefully you just got to be able to take that opportunity when it does show up in front of you that's exact as long as you keep doing something yeah. anything um that you like things 
like little by little, you're not seeing them, but doors are opening. And that's what I found. Like when I first started cosplaying, I wasn't thinking, oh, one day someone's going to pay me to do this. (laughs) I wasn't thinking that. I was just like, well, you know, I was writing for uh, a syndicated column in a fitness magazine. So I was writing for a bunch. I was a writer. Because I have a secondary, I did sec, I did my graduate studies at Columbia in broadcast journalism. Oh, wow. So I was writing for like magazine, fitness magazines. I was like, Bleh. and that was like my job. This was a hobby. And then this overtook that. So that's, yeah. So as long as you're, I feel, as long as you're doing and you're doing it like with purpose, things will start opening for you and happening for you little by little. But it, it's usually, the reason why usually, People get frustrated because you're not seeing it right away. It takes time. Like yeah. I started cosplaying what, like eleven years ago, twelve years ago. Wait, how long was it? Oh my gosh, I know. so long ago. <laughs> yeah, it, you but mentioned I totally. Like I honestly think my first job, my first job out of college was at MTV, and um, I I interned there first, and it's only because I wrote about forty letters to them saying I want an internship. <laughs> I kept oh, writing, yeah. kept writing, kept writing, kept writing. And then finally, they're like, we have an unpaid internship here for the summer. Come in. Came in. I worked my butt off, got hired by the company. But that's where I, the only reason they hired me is I remember, I remember her looking at my resume and going, you have a degree in neuroscience. Why do you want to work at a music television? And I was like, and she's like, well, this has nothing to do with what we do, but I can guess you're probably smart. You got the job. That's how <laughs> See, your degree Never did know. help you. It helped. Yep. It did. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, the Comic-Con in 2010, and as you said that, you know, that was their first time being Storm. Uh, I think that was the first Comic-Con that I was at, too. Mm. I was covering it as a journalist, uh, and I think I, I actually interviewed uh, Chris Cow, who works uh, at Wizards now. Uh, he does uh, the Magic Arena and things like that. But that's also the first time that I met in face to face Satine Phoenix. Uh, yeah, in 2010, really? In 2010, yeah. Oh I think it's either 2010 or 2011. Time. I'm pretty sure it's it's it was 2010. Um, and oh I just love the connection there because now you're going to be on Sirens. Is that right? It's you understand, Satine, like TJ Storm, holds a very like there are three people that hold an important part of my life, like as far as D and D. And one is Matt Mercer because I met him in 2010. And he was like, why don't you play D&D? You have a set. like, no, I can't hear you. Forget it. <laughs> and then you have Satine Phoenix, who asked me in 2000, like, I don't know, 12, 13, whatever the first Sirens was, how yeah. would you like to learn how to play D&D and you can be on my own? I was like, no, forget it. Anxiety <laughs> through the roof. And then TJ Storm was the one that finally said, you're actually playing even if you don't want to. Even if they think I'd drag you kicking and screaming, you're playing. And I was like, ooh. So the three of them, and now all three of them are names in like D&D sort of community. They're in, yeah. Back like 10 years ago, they were just sort of playing and doing stuff, you know. Um, but Satine actually, yeah, she asked me years ago and I was like, thank you, but no. Like we constantly hold ourselves back. She was like, we'll make it work for you if you can't hear. Don't worry about it. And I was like, no. <laughs> that face. I mean, I, I, I can understand. I understand. Yes. Yeah. So now um, I'm actually, yeah, I just, I just joined Sirens, which is the most fun. It's like, you know, a bunch of girls and everyone's a bard, which is a class I never thought I would play because I can't sing. You don't have to sing, sing, though. You so it's be like a there's performer no way in other bard, ways, like, like you are. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so, 
What, do, do, can you tell us about your character? Like, what uh, what character are you are you playing? Um, her name is Sadie Sullivan, but we but she goes by Sully because she doesn't use her first name. She has a really complicated backstory that I really I actually I I adore this character to death, and I don't I don't know if I'm at liberty to talk too much about it because I think she wants more of it to unfold, I guess. But she um, she's a satyr, which is something also Ooh. I'd never thought, and she's yeah. a bard sore. So I have my my most comfortable class is sorcerers. They're my they're my favorite because the flexible um flexible spending points you can use for casting certain spells. I love that about sorcerers and I yeah. love meta magic too. Yeah, wild magic sorcerers are a bit much, but you know, the other ones are yeah, wild magic ones like, no, you're a potted plant again. <laughs> Why do I, I always I, roll? Those that? are my favorites. I love the wild magic. Really? I like the yeah. You like it. Whatever. I do. I just like to be a little unhinged. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Not my fault. Sorry, you're a plant. Yeah. And then, oh, have you tried uh, the wild magic barbarians at all? Have you done them? No. Because I, no, no. <laughs> now you have to. Oh, I'm, yeah, that's okay. I am <laughs> lately opening myself up to, to new, try new things, like to not just always be a magic user um, yeah. or a wizard, you know, or, or I'm like, and I like to be, I like to be elves. So I'm, you know, I'm, oh. I'm opening the horizons. But elves are your, like your, your canon self, like being an elf. Yeah. It's just, mage. it just feels like me. Oh. It does. It, but like, I, you know, I don't want to be a human, even though it's very popular yeah. for people to, play as humans in in D and want to be something that i'm not in real life me too yeah. that's what i am what about you greg what's your favorite like class race i'm i'm the same i like elves uh i think that's due to my lord of the rings fandom i yeah. just i always just love the way they're always portrayed as you know this haughty kind of bit, even though that's not really who i am at all i just i just identify yeah. that means fantasy to me is to play an elf um, but I, I, I like Rangers, uh, I think, you know, and that's a little bit of Aragorn and, you know, the, the kind of tropes from, from the fantasy novels that I loved when I was a kid, uh, Tannis Halfelven and things like that, that I just jump into. Um, but like Shelly, I, I like, uh, doing different things, you know, at this point, like I, I, one shots have been fun because you can be like, oh, I'm going to be a, uh. Uh, a, a goblin artificer and see how that works uh, and, and make it happen. And, uh, you know, having a tabaxi fighter. Okay, sure. We'll oh, have yeah. a cat person yeah. get into a fight. Like, why not? And that has been super fun. But, you know, if I go to my default, it's always going to be probably an elf wizard it's or an elf ranger. That's what you're going to play if there's like a long-term... Um campaign that's what you're gonna fall toward yeah that's, you know because you're right a one shot gives you an opportunity to test out something to see how you like it because right. you don't want to get into a campaign and you're like yeah so my character's gonna have to change sorry <laughs> 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 you have or, to die and yeah no, coming, can you so. can yep. you kill my character reborn, reborn. just make it happen <laughs> i remember i played a uh it was gonna be a one shot and i'm like i'm gonna be i think i was a minotaur barbarian or like something like like way different this is i was just like i'm an elf sorceress and now i'm like i'm a minotaur barbarian and my name is kevin <laughs> and kevin. <laughs> i was like super excited even though it was a one shot i planned and planned a lot about kevin and his backstory and uh-huh. i 
kid you not, this is not hyperbole, maybe two and a half minutes into the game, Kevin got shot at and fell off a bridge and died. <laughs> no! No! Oh, Kevin. He was dead. Pour, pouring out for Kevin. I, oh, I, yes, and I still wonder, what would my life be like if Kevin had lived? <laughs> <laughs> What like would up he, at night going? Yeah, I wonder if I didn't. <laughs> I why did Kevin. I cross that bridge? Why couldn't I have just waited? I don't know. Like, what would I be a barbarian now today? Would I still be playing Kevin? Would my would I? How would life be different? I don't know. You we'll never know. Like wearing the barbarians helmets. are the class that you don't like playing the most. What about you, Greg? What's the class you don't you just don't gel with or something? You know, honestly, rogues are not my jam. I don't like okay. having to sneak, you know. I, I like the idea of some of the, the uh, um, subclasses that were introduced, like in Tasha's uh, uh, or, or Xanathar's. I think the Inquisitive, I, I think it's kind of cool because you're like, oh, that's what you would be if you were like a Sherlock Holmesy type character. I like that. But the idea of only being able to deal damage if you're hiding uh, and... The kind of nefariousness of rogues, I just I, I don't identify with as much. I like playing with them, and I like yeah. the dichotomy mm-hmm. that can happen with players who yeah. who do that. But that's just not my my uh, my go to fantasy. It's not your jam. Just so you know, that was right outside my. Did you hear that sound? I did hear that. That was like right outside my door. I'm like, what is going on? But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it makes like finding figuring out like what class, like it, it comes down to like play style. Like you yeah. said, you don't like rogues because you don't like the the sneak attack sort of thing. It's not your your jam. Mm-hmm. So it's like finding out like your play style. Like I have a friend who only plays barbarians. That's one of my favorites because I love being the front line. Yeah. Um, I, I also don't play rogues, but for a different reason. It's just the numbers. Just forget it. <laughs> There's too many too dice. Many, I gotta like, add wait. all of these d6s. <laughs> Plus, I was ganked way too often by undead rogues in World of Warcraft, and so that put just a, a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, you're just like it's not. That's not happening. This game. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I also don't like clerics either. Clerics. <gasps> too much pressure. Like too much pressure. I Too need much, them really? and I love them, but I, I, the healing part, I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to spend my turn healing you. I want to do something <laughs> cool. <laughs> and now I just feel like because you're over there bleeding and dying that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'll put my mace away and let's just <laughs> go heal you up now. I don't want to do it. So don't. And I'm not good in emergencies. I'm not, I'm not that person. That's so do you me. have you ever played like Warcraft as like a healer or anything like that? No. That's stressful. Here's I have I have some friends who refuse to play clerics because they're like traumatized from playing a healer, playing WoW. Mm-hmm. Because when you're a healer in WoW, like people think you're a magician. So it becomes very, very it's a very scary. I used to think that healers were like, oh, they probably have it easy. They have it's the hardest thing to play because everyone wants to kill you because you're keeping everyone alive. One Ugh. and two, people think you're a magician. So you'll be. I remember I played a priest once and I was like, I'm a priest, I'm here in the dungeon. <laughs> and I was running through the dungeon and like the tank was taking off. And I'm like, What are you? I'm keeping you alive. The tank will go and stand in lava and be like, Oh my God, I'm dying. Heal me, heal me. I'm dying. I was like, yep. Please, please don't jump off a cliff. I can't save you <laughs> if you jump off a cliff. It's Ugh. very stressful. That also reminds me of being a parent. What, say, say that again, Shelly. 
That reminds me also of yes. like parenting. Like a child would be like, I literally told you to not stand on the edge of the couch <laughs> with one foot up in the air and blindfold. Like, why are you doing this? And then when you fall off and you hurt yourself, I now have to come to you and comfort you. Right? I told you not to do it. Yeah. Yes. Get out of the lava, tank. Get out of the get out of the <laughs> line of fire. And then like, oh, the healers suck. I'm like, what the? So of course I've never played a cleric. However, I'm playing a cleric in a one shot in two weeks. So I oh. decided to make it interesting for myself. I'm going to, and this is what I do often. Like I'll take a spell, I'll take a look at my character, decide what they do. And then I'll get the spells that I want for the character. Sometimes I won't pick the most optimal spells, but I'll pick the spells that fit the character. Yeah. Which is a lot of, makes it a lot of fun for me. So with this cleric, what I might do is I might have it where all of her healing spells are, are something other, other than they seem like the, like the spell might do something like it might be like, um, like spaghetti and meatballs and that's the actual like healing spell and you have to eat it or something like that. I'll do something weird to make it like fun. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Okay. Because I've never played a cleric, but they need, this game specifically needs a cleric. And I was like, I don't mind picking up the slack just to play because it'll be fun. Yeah, to just try something new. Mm-hmm. The game lends itself to a lot of um, like creativity. If you want to just throw things, like I brought up, I was playing in a game once where uh, the character was, I mean, she had this giant plunger as a weapon, like toilet plunger for whatever reason, who knows. But one of her spells, you know, Maelstrom, the spell, yeah. it like turns an area into this swirling whirlpool. Like I basically With made it like plunger. a, like a, a toilet. toilet. <laughs> like a giant, so the enemies, she was like, yeah, flush sound. Toilet, toilet. <laughs> nice. So you created Mario, <laughs> I guess. I know. <laughs> He's the plumber and the hero at the same time. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. Uh, well, it is uh, wonderful to talk to you. I love your creativity, that both yes. in your uh, uh, character creation as well as all of the costumes that you bring uh, to the table as well as the camera. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait for Sully and to learn more about that character uh, on Sirens. That seems really cool. I will tell you one thing for you, that like she has... Um, um, one of her, her weapon is one of my favorites that I've ever had. She has like this baton that she's sort of like, she's only, she's a teenager. She's like 16 or 17, but she sort of has a baton that she's always sort of twirling. This baton, she, when she wants to do something, she can toss it up in the air. And you know those like pop tents that you can buy from like Amazon that you throw up in the air and they pop open? Yes. And then they're like, oh, you just twist it and it goes back in the bag. And you're like, no. <laughs> That's what it's like. She has this baton that she can throw it in the air and it pops open like one of those pop open tents and it looks like that hula hoop right there. Oh, nice. And it's basically an immovable rod. So when she puts it in the air, it stays where it is. Okay. And she can climb up into it and sit into it for like a vantage point on like enemies. So she can put them like, put the mover right up. It pops up into the, the hoop and she can pull herself up into the hoop and sit in it and look and she can cast spells from that hoop. So I don't know if you know what the immovable rod is, the, um, the yeah, uh, no, rare item. So cool. Yeah, so her version is a circle. Yeah. It changes form, sort of. So I, I was like, you give us like, a magic item, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be using that magic item and I'm gonna change it around to see if it's okay. <laughs> Man, can you so imagine what Cirque du Soleil could do if they could do they could oh put a uh, immovable circle in the air? 
She's an aerialist. That's her bardic sort of skill. She's a dancer because I can't sing. So she does a bunch of like tricks and dance skills and she does like Lyra stuff with the hoop. So because I love hula hoops. <laughs> oh my God. That's so cool. I love it. You're I bar- love it. I love the way your mind works. I love how you can just transform okay. anything into just a very unique original experience. This game is perfect for that. And it's almost like, I feel like it's a very safe space so far. It's been a very safe space for me to walk into and just be like, oh, what if? And everyone, <laughs> and it's, it's so cool to do that and have people like you and every just go, yeah. Do it. Rad. You, and you've it, definitely had you know? some good dungeon masters for sure. That mm-hmm. have, you know, that's the, I think the, the sign of a good dungeon master that here's the what if and is already like, okay. Tell me more. Hear me out. Yes, Yes. and let's keep it going. So fun. Well, uh, there's so much great stuff that you are always doing. How can people, you know, find out about it? Where Where's the best uh, way to get everything, Alicia, uh, on the on the internets? So, I mean, I'm on all socials, and I just I'm on like Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook too at Alicia Marie Body. Because of fitness, that's where I come from. But um, I just started TikTok a little bit, which is a very scary world for me because I, I just was like, no, forget it. But then I I became that that person that like makes fun of TikTok and now they're on it. There's a bunch <laughs> of people on TikTok who made fun of it and now they're on it. So now I'm just sort of tentatively, tentatively doing stuff on there, but it's all Alicia Marie body. I have a, yeah, I have a really cool, I do have some pretty cool things coming up that I wish I could talk about. But of course, because we live in social media era, everyone makes you sign an NDA to like the end of your life. You can't talk about anything you ever do anymore because of NDAs, but I have really cool costuming stuff coming up that I can't wait to be able to talk about, but come follow me there. And also, Sirens of the Realms on Fridays yes. at Satine Phoenix's channel. Really awesome. That's, awesome. That's going to be great. Yeah, you will tune be very in. happy there. Uh, say hi to everybody there. I love uh, everything at Sirens. So uh, give high fives virtually uh, when you see him next. Well, I'm so glad <laughs> that you took the plunge and you played Dungeons and Dragons. It's been, it's honestly been like a life, like I said, a life-changing thing. Like you can be a creative person and you have these ideas, but you're always worried that people are going to like judge you. That's what we all do. We have anxiety. Everyone's going to judge us. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to just say, yeah, she's half goblin too. <laughs> it's been, it's been very, it's been a really cool ride. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. I know More people hire you for cosplay, <laughs> but I might hire you for those character sheet flowcharts that you were making. I know. Like, I that love that. seems the great to be able to be like, oh, can sheet. someone just give me all of the lowdown on what to, to use for a high level character? Like, I would love that. <laughs> Only for level 21. So if they're, if they're <laughs> like 12 and lower, I can do it up here. But when it's like level 20, I was like, the competitive Alicia wakes up and goes, I have oh, to wait. know, and I'm not going to miss adding my charisma modifier this time. No. no. Do you, oh, yeah. You know? Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good well, advice. It's been a dream talking to you. Love it. And I can't wait for more. And I'm going to go uh, follow you on all those Instagrams and Twitters and me TikToks too. right now. Thank you so much for having me. Guys. <laughs> Thank like you for being here. You too. <laughs> Yay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that was amazing. Right? 
I feel like uh, it was it was more like a, a improv jam session we were just having, like hearing all of her character concepts that she's come up with only over the last you know year or so is kind of mind boggling. It really is, and to play a twentieth level character, yeah, what I know. Uh, so that also felt like five minutes. It just felt like like our pre show banter or something I, I realized that that was a full interview but it just went so quickly and it was just so fun absolutely She's, yeah I feel so very hope inspired. you guys enjoyed it follow everything about what uh, Alicia's doing especially Sirens I'm very excited for yeah. uh, the all barred crew to expand it's uh, one of my favorites that uh, Satine Phoenix has been putting together for, for years and years and years so jump in see where her character is going to go because it seems like they got some plans going on there yeah. ah. So if you want to get into D&D or learn everything about what's happening there, there's a bunch of ways that you can do it. You can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes below for you to do that and get hot D&D takes emailed to you directly. There it is. Just landed in, in the inbox. There's a Dragon Plus app that you can download to your phones and get by monthly Content, including previews, interviews, maybe even some D&D materials that you can use in your game there. Uh, that content is also available in addition to being on your phone. Uh, dragonmag.com, uh, viewable in any browser uh, to be able to check out that stuff. And I say this every time, but there is amazing, cool content in the most recent issue. That's yep. all about Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Lots of good in. stuff. Love it. Um, including... Including what? I was just going to say some more stuff that's coming up that I don't want to spoil, but I, I know some things, and you know some things. You know, I know some things about some things. <laughs> you know what else I know? What? If I want to play D&D, but maybe I don't have a group to play with or a dungeon master, or I'm kind of new to it, I could go play in a virtual play weekend, and there will be another one coming up uh, in June. So yes. these are monthly events that you can just jump into, sign up, jump into a table or reserve a table for your entire party and just play some D&D. Get together with your friends virtually and safely and um, Dungeon Masters provided. So, Yeah. And not just Dungeon Masters, expert Dungeon Masters that are trained in the ways. The, the best of the best. Exactly. And my favorite part about that is that we're expanding each time, I think, new uh, Dungeon Masters who play not in English. They will play in, in, in different languages. So this is making these type of virtual play weekends truly a global affair. Yes. Yeah, so and you can in. play on many different um, platforms as well. So That's right. Whatever your preference is, there's probably a table waiting for you. Yeah. Um, and I hope all of you got to check out me and Shelly painting a <gasps> miniature. We oh painted gosh. our red slod with V-Muse. All that stuff is available at the WizKids website as well as their YouTube page. So take a look. Uh, we, uh, that was another time that it was. it felt like five minutes, but two and a half hours passed and we both have a pretty good looking red slod after it. I will say I can't believe how much fun that was. Yeah. I've never done that before. I've never painted a mini before, and I've always thought like the whole activity would just not be for me. I'm not meticulous. I'm not crafty. I, but you don't have to be those things. It was fun. We just hung around and chatted and talked D and D and painted. I painted mine the wrong color, and that was just fine. It's okay to be different. You went for the vermilion slide. 
I did. Um, <laughs> but V is such a good teacher and so patient and just lovely to be around. So Yeah, it really did feel like a nice zen activity. Uh, yeah. And the, the, the three of us just seemed to gel really well. So if you are experiencing it, and that's maybe the theme of this entire episode, is like if you're a little bit reluctant to jump into things, yeah. do it uh, because it can be really rewarding, um, you know, despite your pessimism or, or uh, a reluctance to do so. So yep. uh, I enjoyed it and uh, hopefully we can be those, uh, those poster children to be like, yeah, you can do the thing yes, and have fun doing it too. Yes, you can. Follow me Bye. at Greg Tito on the Twitters, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Yep, you can follow me uh, at Shelly Moo on Twitter or Instagram, or you can even follow Two Old Moms on Instagram. That's my other Instagram, and I think you should go there because nice. I know that 95% of my followers there are actual Dragon Talk listeners because every time I, a Dragon Talk episode comes out, I get a few more followers. So thanks, awesome. you guys. I love you. Yeah. And for some reason, my Star Trek podcast, Reengage, got a whole bunch of downloads over the weekend, so I don't know exactly what happened because we uh, talked about it. Maybe it's just because we talked about it. So uh, jump in. We have the entire first season of Star Trek Next Generation under our belts. We're planning for season two uh, to start. So that's 25 episodes where we watch uh, the, the Star Trek episode and talk about it in the context of being Gen Xers looking back uh, I, at this thing. I love that. I think that that's a very cool, fun concept. And yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's Good so job, great Greg. to be able to look at the, like what's happening in 1987 and like the news stories and how much I remember about those news stories and then the episode and then how it relates to us now. It's, it's kind of fascinating. So enjoy, uh, re-engage TNG. Uh, we're on the Twitters there, but uh, I'm excited about where we're going to go with Dungeons and Dragons and these sessions with Drunky Two Shoes. I, I think something really scary is about to happen. So the brief recap, we uh, made it to Waterdeep. Uh, there had been an altercation where uh, Drunky and her brother Daryl uh, were pickpocketed. They went down an alley and uh, saw three shortish people, might have been the urchins that stole Drunky's uh, coin purse. Uh, there was a fight. You got the amulet back uh, from there and then ran uh, as fast as you can to get to the Harper safe house in the North Ward. Having spoken uh, to the uh, contact there, they determined that the amulet that you had taken from this uh, creature uh, allowed you, you, the wearer, to see through uh, the illusions of doppelgangers or the, or, or the appearance of doppelgangers. Uh, and you looked at your brother Daryl, or what you th- who you thought was your brother Daryl, yeah. uh, and it was not him. And you are not sure exactly when that shift changed. Uh, you had tried to determine when you had first encountered him on the ship whether it was him, and that seemed to be true, and he had known things that only Daryl would know. Um, but you're you're not sure exactly who this person is in front of you as you put on the this amulet and look at your brother. It is not your brother. So you when I look at this this person that is not my brother and I'm wearing the amulet, are they do they have any like recognition of like oh no the amulet? Yeah. So well, and and the person who had just uh, said that this is what this amulet does 
Uh, set it within earshot of Daryl. And so as you put it on, you get that realization of like, (gasps) and as that's happening, you see, and it's kind of like this gross uh, face. It almost looks like skin and bone put together. It doesn't, it it almost is a horrifying visage in front of you uh, that's not Daryl's, you know, usually uh, furry and friendly looking face. Uh, And and that creature is immediately backing up and uh, looking to try to get to the door. Uh, if you can, the door is slightly ajar, and there's a couple other people, and you hear uh, in in here who are Harpers, uh, and you hear like the the chairs kind of go back as they start to stand. The the Harpers, the people who are yeah, well, they realize right. that there's an enemy in their midst right now. Okay, I scream, block the door, block the door. Okay, um, one of the one of the uh, other uh, Harpers who looks like a a, a fighter type, he's got a you know a sword at his side, uh, kind of rushes to the door. At the same time, who you thought was Daryl is rushing toward that door. Uh, trying to get out. I'm going to jump and take him down. Okay. Pounce on him. Roll me your attack. Um, what is that attack? What am I doing? Is this, if I just want to pounce? You just want to kind of like uh, restrain like, him? Yeah. Like in a grapple? Uh, just do a oh, attack an, using strength. Okay. 15. 15. Uh, okay. Uh, and this would be an opposed roll. If we're doing a grapple, uh, and uh, would they have more than three? Yeah, you you uh, you beat him. Uh, okay, oh. so yeah, so yeah, you pounce on him and you kind of tackle him uh, to the ground, uh, and the fighter kind of closes the door and draws his sword and uh, points it at you know both of you on the ground, but you know is 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 looking to support you. Okay, uh, and yeah, Daryl's on the ground. You've kind of got him. Pinned, and again, it's not Daryl, it's the face of this awful person. Do you want to say anything? Who are you? I'm going to take out my short sword and put it right up to his throat. Who are you? Where's my brother? Um, you, uh, we'll, we'll pick it up next time because he makes that gurgling sound and doesn't say anything right away. Okay. I see how this is going to go. 